0: We've Been Around the Block is a podcast coming to you from the heart of the KZN Midlands. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Anthony Jarby, and my very special guest today is Professor Tricky Free. Welcome, Tricky.
1: Hi, Anthony. It's wonderful to have this opportunity to speak today to you.
0: Tricky, you are a nematologist, which is a very specialized occupation. Tell us a little bit about nematology.
1: Yes, Anthony, it's all about those tiny invisible little threats that occur in, you know, the soil and they are eating away well, they have been classified as part of the big giveaway. And that is that forty percent of the yields or quality of farmers are actually being lost to insects pests and diseases of which nematodes constitute a big part.
0: Right. So these are microscopic worm-like creatures?
1: Yes, yes. And you know, Anthony, they are actually aquatic animals. So they live in the water film around the soil particles. And they are in very close contact to the roots or the tubers of the crops, whatever the farmer is planting. And then they attack and infect these below ground parts and cause the damage. And what is actually more important is that when they feed on these underground pots, they make like little holes and that can be the doorway for fungi, bacteria, soil borne organisms. Yeah,
0: secondary infections, right.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: So how did you get into nematology? What was the stimulus?
1: Yes, that's very interesting. You know, Anthony, since I've been at school, um, I just loved biology. And in the high school or secondary school, we had a teacher that really made it interesting to us. And I come from a little town, Hartswater, there in the Northern Cape. And we didn't have microscopes, for example, to, to see these one-celled organisms So when I got to the university, I couldn't wait to look through the eyepieces of the microscope. And it was as if another world just became known to me. And then in my honours here, I had the late Prof. Don Lewis and he just made me want to look further into nematology and study it more.
0: Right. And you know, there's many microscopic organisms, but uh, nematodes are a big problem in heartwater, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. Right. Yeah. So
0: okay. you started your career off at the ARC, the Grain Crops Research Institute, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm.
0: And you worked with a really large group of specialists in that institute,
1: Yes, that was really a wonderful platform for me to start my career. I learned from the best. You know, it was wonderful to be surrounded by other nematologists um, and also entomologists and plant pathologists. And that's where I then furthered my career and I did my master's degree and my PhD degree and that focused on soybeans and uh, root not nematodes. And really from there on, there was no stop. I, I just continued and left the ARC after 19 years, Anthony, and went to the Northwest University where I presented classes to honors degree students. And then I also trained MSC, PhD students, and I had postdocs. And that was really as if The circle was nearly completed for me in terms of of nematology. So I enjoyed a very, very full and rewarding career.
0: Right. You know, so a lot of people look at the migration of talent out of the ARC in a bad light. But really what happened is you moved to a teaching organization and you passed on all that knowledge to to thousands of students and so actually the impact that you had at the northwest university is massive right
1: yeah i think that was a very good place to to go to and i learned a lot and i enjoyed it so much because it was now you know as you say the teaching the teaching aspect now was added and that really made me understand more about transferring my knowledge of nematology to these youngsters that will one day also join the agricultural force.
0: Right. Nematologists of the future, right?
1: Yes, definitely. That's
0: amazing. <laughs> and, and now recently you've moved on another step to Syngenta, and that's likely to be perhaps less focused directly on nematology, but perhaps uh, a, a little wider focus, right?
1: Yes, Anthony. And that, at a stage, I said to myself, you know what, it will be good if I can make a last change in my career and, as you say, get a wider perspective. And then I got um, the opportunity to join Syngenta, where I now, I'm the technical product lead um, for Seed Care, Africa Middle East. Uh, what I'm doing is I give support, I do training, I do development um, for seed care products. And those are nematicides, insecticides, fungicides, biostimulants um, and biologicals are also now coming, um, you know, to the front, getting very popular. So it's really very, very interesting.
0: Well, we wish you all the best and this uh, new part of your of your long career the reason we have you on the show is to discuss nematodes in relation to soybeans and nematodes are one of the bigger problems that we have in soybean production so after the short break we will go straight into nematodes problematic with soybean production don't go away This episode is sponsored by Panar Seed. Now, soybean production has expanded phenomenally in the last short while, and there are two important points to note. Firstly, that Panar was involved in soybean seed production long before it became fashionable or profitable to be in the seed market. And secondly, Panar should probably be given at least some of the credit for the expansion into the dry western areas of the country, they spent at least 20 years trying to figure out correct phenotype for soybean adaptation to the dry western sandy areas. One of the parts of the puzzle that is still perhaps missing involves nematodes, and so this episode is particularly pertinent to production in the dry west. (laughs) Right, so back again with nematodes. Tricky, tell me which are the species of nematode which cause the major problems with soybeans?
1: Okay, Anthony, worldwide, there's basically a few genera of which uh, quite a wide range of species cause problems, but they are basically the root-knot nematodes. I would put them in the first place. Then we have the lesion nematodes. Uh, the root-knot nematodes are the Meloidogyne genus
0: there's three or four major species that yes yeah
1: yes so they are melordogynia incognita melordogynia germanica arenaria also and then also what we discovered uh, melordogynia interlobi. it's basically a virulent species that Um, A lot of research are being done on during the past, say, 20 years. And it's really threatening because it basically causes more damage, you know. And we found it in South Africa. So it's in our grain production areas. So we have to look out for it. Then we have the lesion nematodes, Pratylenchus, right. also a big problem. Very abundant in our soybean growing areas. And then, Anthony, actually we have um, also cyst nematodes, the soybean cyst nematode, heterodera glycines, that cause in other world countries like the US, Brazil, you know, that cause a lot of damage. And what is quite scary is that it has been found very recently in Zambia, our neighbours. So it's important for us to also be on the lookout. Currently,
0: we don't have a cyst nematode, but there's indications that we need to be on the lookout for it, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think rather be proactive, you know. So these are the three genera that that we mainly find on soybean. But then we also have some of the ectoparasites or semi-ectoparasites that also are becoming problematic. For example, in, in Brazil, Helicotylenchus, you know, some of the spiral nematodes has been found to, to cause problems. And then also an aerial nematode that also causes quite um, a lot of problems in Brazil. So we have to be on the lookout and we have to make sure that we are vigilant and know which nematodes are present in our production areas
0: right so how would you recognize a nematode problem
1: okay anthony in soybean it's actually so so clear you know when you get to a field and you see a patch of poor growing yellowish stunted plants and it's usually not a big patch because remember they can't move on their own so far so it's actually small patches that can become bigger with or over years because of movement of implements or heavy rainfalls, you know. But when you see that, you must think about nematodes and take out the plants and look at the roots. The root knot nematode infections will have these gold roots, you know, um, while lesion nematodes may show necrotic roots or brownish, blackish roots, and one has to be on the lookout for that. But farmers should then take those roots and the surrounding rises with soil and send it into a nematode diagnostic lab, of which we have several ones across the country.
0: Right. And so, The first rookie error that might occur is getting root knot and Rhizobia nodules uh, mixed up, right? So obviously, the root galls formed by nematodes are part of the root, and you know it's a call of the root. Whereas the rhizobia is a is a nodule which actually forms on the side of the root, and it's quite easy to pick off, right?
1: Yes, you can rub it off so easily, and when you break it open, you will know better than I. It can be pinkish or whitish or greenish, depending Mm -hmm. on the stage of development. While root knot nematode galls, as you've said. Rightly, it is part of the root and you cannot rub it off.
0: Right. And so looking at the symptoms on the root, is that a fair indication of the damage caused or not?
1: Well, let me tell you this: If you see a severe infection of root knot nematodes, you will know. Well, this is really a problem, and you can expect yield losses. Right. But for the other nematodes, like lesion nematodes, you can easily think it may be other soil-borne pathogen damage. You know, yeah, so like a, like a root
0: right rot of sorts, right?
1: Yes, yes, definitely. So it's better to send it in for analysis.
0: Wonderful, and so. Tell us a little bit about the distribution of nematodes across the country.
1: Yeah, Anthony, it's widely distributed. We have done a few soybean surveys during the past 10 years and also about four maize surveys, uh, nematode surveys. And it's really everywhere where these crops are produced. Our predominant and economically important root knot nematodes and lesion nematodes are present, yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So they occur very widely, but mostly the damage is seen in the more sandy, the sandy parts of the country.
1: Yes, definitely. We find that most damage occur in areas with the sandier soils, but make no mistake, you even get them in clayish soils. You know, Anthony, already in 1991-92, I did a survey for my uh, master's degree and we found it in KwaZulu-Natal in quite heavy soils. So where the pathogen is... You know the environment is um, conducive, and you have the target crop. You will have nematodes. It may just take longer in clay soils to develop to severe or high population densities. Right,
0: right, and there's a interaction with temperature too. Right.
1: Yes, yes. Usually we find that the higher the temperature, the higher the numbers can build up because we know that for root-knot nematodes it takes about 20 to 30 days at a soil temperature of 26 degrees to complete one life cycle. But this Meloidogyne interlobe, the more pathogenic species that I told you earlier about, One of my MSc students, Raymond Collett, did a study and we found the females produced eggs from 15 days after we infected the soybean with the infective second stage juveniles of this species. So that,
0: that means it can multiply in half the time, right?
1: Yes, where in 60 days we can have four life cycles of this species or around about. The counterpart species Melodogynia incognita and Giovannica we find that they may have three life cycles. So you see immediately one life cycle more, meaning more offspring, meaning higher numbers.
0: Right, right. In terms of where nematodes occur, right, so we, we said that They often occur in the more sandy soils and in the warmer climates, but they often occur in complexes. And what dictates what that complex of species will look like?
1: Mm, That's a very interesting question. You know, um, in our surveys, we found up to four species of root-knot nematodes in one sample from roots or soil. And that shows you how they live together and then this is for root knot nematodes then lesion nematodes you can find more than five six species in in one sample so um, necessarily we have the thermophiles and they love um the warmer areas and they are the species like Meloidogyne incognita Javanica, enterulobi arenaria you will mostly find them in the in the warmer areas in the colder areas, you will find the cryophils, you know, species that love the, the cooler climates like Maluruguayani, Hapla, and so on. So that is usually, we, we really find that in most of the cases, we find that more than one species occur in one sample.
0: And from my perspective, from the plant breeding side, That is one of the reasons why it's so difficult to deploy a uh, resistance Mm -hmm. gene, because you have so many target species.
1: Of course, precisely. You know, when you have a cultivar resistant to one species and you plant it, there may be the other one and you will, of course, then um, help its numbers to build up. Um, Also, we must be very careful when we use the resistant cultivars not to use them Every season, one season after the other, because then you can also select for the virulent part of the population of root-knot nematodes or the target nematode. Yeah,
0: right. And so how do we go about preventing damage with soybeans?
1: Anthony, so it's crucial, you know. It's difficult to contain them or to control them because I like and everyone like to go the more natural or green way. For that, we can use poor host cultivars or resistant cultivars. Luckily, we have one product, nematicide, that has been registered, I think, about two years ago in South Africa that farmers can use. And then, of course, I will um, recommend farmers to try and increase the organic content of their soils because that also helps to increase diversity in the soils, increase the natural enemies of plant parasitic nematodes in the soil. So even farmers that can use conservation agriculture, using cover crops, you know, Immediately, if we have higher diversity also in our soils, it makes it a healthier soil. And I think we will definitely get further in terms of sustainable crop production.
0: Perhaps if you, if you don't have a major problem, you can contain it by just good farming practices, rotation, Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, cover cropping and that sort of thing. But uh, I yeah. suspect that, that if you have a severe problem, you might have to resort yes. to chemical means. Yeah. Definitely, Anthony. Yes. Nice. Good. We've probably discussed everything that we need to know about uh, nematodes and and soybeans. Um, Ricky, how would somebody get into nematology? You know, so you would think that nematology is part of what science would? Would you say microbiology, or would that be pathology?
1: Yeah, you see, generally it falls within the biological sciences, and I think it fits better with microbiology, you know, because of the soil-borne diseases complex that it forms part of. So, Anthony, I think students at universities in South Africa can apply to do master's and PhD studies in hematology, and usually... We kind of link it to microbiology because, you know, it's part of the soil-borne disease complex. And I would really uh, motivate students to get involved and study these mysterious little microorganisms that cause so much damage. But the beneficial ones are really also a group on their own. And they play a huge role in, in soil health, in the recycling of nutrients. Um, right, they so also... maybe,
0: maybe just touch on, on that, because we keep thinking of them as the bad guys in the soil. But there are beneficial nematodes in our yes. rhizosphere.
1: Yes, you know, Anthony, actually, (laughs) it's very interesting. In South Africa, we only really started to look at them and their role in soil health or rhizosphere health. I'd rather talk about rhizosphere health from the early 2000s. And these little organisms, in the first place, we find predators and omnivores, so they feed on other microorganisms in the soil and where they can reduce uh, numbers of pathogenic organisms, for example. Then we have the fungivores that feed on fungi, bacterivores that feed on bacteria that can also reduce, you know, the the pathogen load. But more than that, they um, recycle, for example... Elements like nitrogen and make it more available in the soil. You know, by feeding on other organisms, there's an article that say they can contribute up to between twenty and thirty percent of of the nitrogen that can be used by plants. Very interesting. Right. So that is that is really a a very um, interesting study on its own. Right. Um,
0: and that's one of the reasons why you would use chemical control as perhaps a last resort, right?
1: Yeah. And also, Anthony, these days, you know, the products that are available or getting registered because because of the, the big drive towards uh, sustainability and, um, you know, soil health, those products doesn't have a negative impact, the, the new generation products. Right.
0: So um, there's very little off-target species yes. activity right? yes. okay
1: yes so that's also a plus these days right
0: well tricky it's been wonderful talking to you about nematodes I wish you all the best your new career in seed health um, seed applied technologies and um, good luck with with working in the private sector
1: <laughs> Thank you Anthony I'll definitely need that <laughs> and yeah. I'm looking also very much forward to plough back some of my experience and knowledge in this part of the agricultural sector
0: well it's been wonderful talking to you about nematodes take care